0: Everybody feel a little extra rested today? Y'all look like you got an extra hour of sleep last night. It's a good-looking congregation, got even better looking. It's amazing. Hey, is it not great news to start off a uh, service and sing the reality about our God that forever He is faithful? A God who forever is strong, a God who is forever loving. Isn't that great news? We want to gather and say amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There you go, whoa. Where you been? Wow. Um, do you think that that's a harder song to sing this morning for those in New Jersey and New York? You think uh, those in uh, the wake of Sandy uh, might be struggling a little bit as they see uh, what has been swept away and, and to try to put their reality uh, next to the reality that God is forever faithful. But He is you know, we live in a broken world. Uh, we live in a world where sandies appear, uh, these hurricanes that threaten everything around us. But our God is good, and He is in control, and there's a mystery to that. It's going to be a big week for our, our nation. And I want you to know that whoever you are, and whoever you vote for, and whoever your hope is in in this election, that I can promise you this. Come Wednesday, God is going to be faithful. I promise you, it's gonna be faithful. God is still gonna be on the throne. He is not right up there and right now thinking, oh man, this is gonna be a big election. Woo! I wonder how this one works out. Oh. He's a mysterious God. He has allowed things to happen that I can't explain. And I want to know, I want you to know that I could be so arrogant that I would have said, God, what about that one? What were you thinking allowing this to happen? I'm hearing God's people being nervous. And I'm hearing God's people of a lot of things happening right now. And just wringing uh, your hands. Let me tell you, if you're a child of the king, you and I have really good news. He is in control. All right? So um, it's true. Now, listen, do our parts as we have to. Listen, people died for us to be able to do what we can do this week. And so go and do it and, and uh, vote. And, and uh, if you need some help with some of the amendments, I, I, I have a Masters of Divinity. I can't understand most of them. And so they're Greek and Hebrew to me, but there's some guides there that are uh, available for you if you want some help with that. They do seem to be a little bit one-sided to me, but uh, they're good. And so uh, if you want those, uh, you can go there. But remember, come Wednesday, wake up and sing, Forever God is Faithful No Matter What. Amen? Amen? All right. Very good. Let me ask you a question as we begin. How elusive is joy in your life? How elusive is joy? Uh, do you have joy in your journey? Uh, is your life uh, one that can be said? Uh, Boy, they're joyful. Man, look at what happens in their life. Just no matter what, there's joy. How rare is contentment? In your life, is there joy in the journey? In your life, is there contentment, or is that rare? We're in a three-week series uh, in the book of Philippians. It's a letter written a long time ago by a fellow by the name of Paul. Uh, Paul wrote it to a specific church in Philippi. Uh, We call it the book of Philippians. And it's a book filled with joy in the journey. It's amazing as we dissect this to find that a guy like Paul could be writing about a theme like joy, especially when you realize where he was when he wrote it inside a Roman prison, shackled, uh, seemingly having liberty stripped away, uh, fearful that his life might be taken at any moment. That's the condition Paul found himself when he wrote this. And yet, he says that there is joy to be found in the journey, even in dungeons. Even in what the world would say is some of the darkest places. This guy Paul, he said that he found a secret. It's a secret that you and I want. It's a secret that you and I long for, sometimes more than others. But it's a secret of contentment. Paul says that uh, as he lives, he has found this secret of contentment. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstances he finds himself in, through his relationship with Jesus Christ, amazingly, is he has been able to be content. He's been able to content with a lot, with much. Uh, I don't know about you, Americans seem to find contentment so elusive, don't we? Especially in abundance. The more I get, the more it shows me how much I want. The more I have, the more I lust for more. And I often find that contentment is really, really elusive with a lot. But not only did Paul find the contentment with much, he also with little or nothing. When the sandies of life come, and they wipe, wipe away your savings when they wipe away your, your home, when, when what you have built and what you think is yours. I mean, when the security of what you have is, is washed away. I mean, how in the world do you say content? It's an amazing my, mystery, but Paul showed us. And last week we realized as we began to find this journey of, of joy, uh, we realized that joy is found in living for Christ. The joy ultimately is not found in living for ourselves. That God has called us to something so much greater. And and last week as we looked at this, we started to see part of Paul's secret. For him, the joy in the journey is to say, for me to live, my motto, my purpose, my hope, my security, my identity, My joy is Jesus. For me to live is is Christ Jesus. And and Paul says to die is gain. I mean, to die is to be with him. And he even is alluding to the fact that joy is found. This is crazy stuff, scripture stuff, gospel stuff. Dying to ourselves and and living for Christ. This week, we're going to find that joy is found in something that I'm terming gospel humility. Gospel humility or, ready for this, the joy of self-forgetfulness. The joy of self-forgetfulness. According to God's word, according to God's word, the journey to joy is not found. we got to get this. Listen up. According to God, the journey of joy is not found in self-fulfillment and self-advancement. If we are pursuing self-fulfillment and self-advancement, God's word says this will lead to vain conceit. Interesting phrase, isn't it vain conceit? If you put that under the microscope, what does the Greek there mean? It means this, empty glory. So according to God's word, living for your selfish ambitions, living for self-advancement, living for self-fulfillment will lead to something called vain conceit and it's basically empty. Empty glory that will never bring you the joy you and I long for. Yet we uh, live in a world that tells us repeatedly, "Look look out for number one. And who's number one in that sentence? Look out for number one. It's basically saying, hey, look out for your own interests. As a matter of fact, if you Google look out for number one, you'll find a definition that says this. Looking out for number one, to act in one's own interests, to act in a manner advantageous primarily to oneself. Is there anyone here that would say this describes a little bit of their life? Or maybe a lot. Let me read again. Looking out for one, number one means to act in one's own interests, to act in a manner advantageous primarily to oneself. Oh man, I start feeling this. Okay, God, guilty is charged. How often in your life are you looking out for number one? God's going to tell us that we always should look out for number one. The number one is not us. The number one is Him. Uh, Look out for Him in His glory. And there we are going to find joy. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The gospel says that joy is not found in looking out for yourself. The Gospel says that joy is actually found in forgetting yourself. Is this not crazy? I mean, come on. This is nuts. God's Word is telling us that if we want to be joyful, it's not in pursuing selfish ambition. It's about forgetting yourself. How in the world can we do that? Well, God tells us in His Word today in Philippians 2, Uh, 2, we're going to read through 1 through 14. And again, I must tell you this because I won't feel comfortable if I don't tell you this. What haunts a preacher week in and week out is what he has to preach from. And there is so much here that we're not going to say. I mean, even this morning as I look back over this text, I'm like, "But, but Lord, 14 and 15 are amazing. How do I not even mention it? Because when you try to say everything... You say nothing. And specifically, we're looking for the secret to find joy in the journey. So God's got us in his word today in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 14. Paul wrote this a long time ago for another church. But something amazing happened, divine. God breathed upon Paul, used all of his gifts and abilities. But this became God's word, never leading us astray, not containing any errors. And the reality and the beauty of this is this. Whoever you are, and wherever you are in your journey, God's got you here to hear this. And he wants to speak to you today through his word. So read along with me in your bulletin or on the screen as we read second, uh, or Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 14. Paul writes, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And I hope that all of you all are able to say, yes, yes, I love being in Christ. I love what he's doing in my life. Then he writes, then make me truly happy or make my joy complete by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. I mean, this, this God and this gospel should make us love him and one another and, and unify us to his cause. But then he says this in verse 3. Don't be selfish or do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Wow, and then he, if that wasn't hard enough, he's going to ratchet it up one more degree. You must have the same mind or the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then if you can see in your Bible, it might look a little bit different in margins because it's trying to say this is a hymn. This is an ancient song that we're about to read and And this will show you how much of the beauty of the theology and Christology that the early church had about Jesus. Listen to what this says about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. This is saying that Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem to a virgin, is eternal God. That he is fully God. Instead, He gave up His divine privileges or He emptied Himself and He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being when He appeared in human form. This is saying of Jesus, not only is He fully God, but He is fully man. It says more, He he humbled Himself in obedience to His Father to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important And listen to what he says. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what a difficult passage this is in so many ways. And God, I know how much I need to hear you speak and bring clarity to this passage. Because there's so many things that I do. I, I even preach sermons for selfish ambition and vain conceit. So God, because you love us and forever you are faithful, would you come and be with us? Would you speak through a broken sinner? Would You give us ears to hear Your voice? Minds to understand Your truth. Hearts to embrace Your love. And feet to walk in a manner that brings You glory. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. God is amazingly gracious to us and He's amazingly kind to us And His Word when He tells us that we can't find the joy that we desperately desire in pursuing our own selfish ambitions. Did you hear that? God is basically saying, "Is listen, I've made you for more. Don't you think for a moment that the joy that you long for, the contentment that you long for, could be found in just pursuing yourself and pursuing your own selfish ambition. Listen, God has made us so much more than that. And for so much more than just living for our pathetic little lives. Why? Because we are created in God's image. We were created in God's image to to live a life, to serve him while serving others. Have you been blown away by God's creation lately? Has anybody seen the moon this last week or so? Has it not been in the most amazing moon? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not like a moon freak, but I just can't get over it this last week when I'm out and about, especially in the morning. It's more in the morning lately that's hitting me than at night. I gotta tell you, I I was running yesterday and and I came to a spot in a clearing where I could still see the moon. And it was so amazingly beautiful. It almost stopped me in my tracks. And I just said, I I, I really did. I, I mean, I'm a Presbyterian, but I went like this. And I was like, God, that's awesome. And God, what you create is amazing. And then I thought this. I said, God, if you just made that, nothing else, but if you made that and you love me, I'm kind of amazed that a God who is so majestic could, could love someone like me. And so he started to realize, look around and say, not only did he make the moon, he made all things. But of all the things that he made that tell his story, you and I are the crown jewel of his creation. Because we're made in his image. We're made to know him. Listen, we're made to love him. We're made to walk with him. He has created us for something so much bigger than just ourselves. He's created us to know and love him. He's created us in a way that we find His joy by living for Him and not living for ourselves. Just because God made you in His image, you will never find ultimately joy in pursuing yourself. The writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. He says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Go figure that one for a little while, huh? Wrap the gray matter around that one. God says not only were, you made in, were we made in his image, but God put eternity in our hearts. You know what that means? I have no idea, but here's what I think what it's saying. It says this, if God's put eternity in our hearts, everything we pursue selfishly, the whole world, listen, if we pursued it and got it. If we got everything the world had to offer, sex, prestige, money, wealth, power, if we had everything the world had to offer, guess what? It's not enough. Because God's made you for more. So then there's Jesus. Because we have rebelled and we pursued our selfish ambition and our vain conceit who would come and rescue us. And he would rescue us by emptying out himself and pursuing us to the point of death on the cross. And through his blood, listen, through the blood of Jesus, something amazing has happened to sinners like us. That we are made new. We are recreated in Christ Jesus. And basically what he's saying is this. You are made new to as I have originally made man to be. In love with me serving me for my glory as you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that this, is that Jesus has recreated us to find again our joy in serving others for the glory of God. If you want to look at the Bible and see a, a big story of the Bible and what it's really all about, it will show us those who have rebelled against God and who pursue their own selfish ambition in vain conceit. It never works out good. I mean, for any created being that wants to, listen, for any created being that wants to elevate itself in God's eyes and the world's eyes, it never works out. There was a beautiful angel, Lucifer, the most beautiful of angels who says, I want to be like the God Most High. And although God had given him beauty and given him power, he wanted more. He lusted for selfish ambition and vain conceit. He wanted more. He thought the way up was to elevate himself. And God said, that's the way down. That's the way to hell. It didn't work for Satan. It didn't work for Adam. Adam and Eve, who said, God, thank you for this great paradise. Thanks for making us in your image. Thanks for hanging out with us at the cool evening. But we want to do our own thing. We want to pursue our own interests. We want to pursue our own glory. We want to do it our own way. We want to lift ourselves up. And they fell. And they fell into a hell of having to live for themselves. It didn't work for Satan. It didn't work for Adam. It won't work for any of us. You see, the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ is this, the joy of self-forgetfulness. The joy of self-forgetfulness. The key of self-forgetfulness is gospel humility. What does gospel humility mean, Jeff? These good religious words, unpack them for us. It's important, listen. Gospel humility is this, not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Gospel humility is not thinking less of yourself. You are made in God's image. Not thinking less of yourself. If you are Jesus's, you are royalty. I mean, you're a joint heir with Christ. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Thinking of God more. Gospel humility is not puffing up yourself. It's realizing that. But listen, there's more. It's not self-loathing or self-abasing. Because if you're self-loathing and self-abasing, guess who you're obsessed with? Yourself. And guess who you're thinking of? Yourself. Listen, self-loathing, self-abasing is as ugly and repugnant as self-loving and self-promoting. Which one do you fall in? I'm more of a self-loather. I'm more of just, man, can I just get wrapped around what I'm not, who I'm not, and what I didn't do? And I can spend a real nice just spiral just thinking about me. And listen, it could sound humble, but it's not. It's false humility. Gospel humility is something else. Gospel humility gives us perspective of ourselves that matters most. Here's gospel perspective is reminded that we have nothing good in ourselves that we can take credit for that would puff us up. Did you hear that? Inside of you, whatever talents you have, whatever looks you have, whatever resources you have, whatever you have that you could look at and compare yourself to the world, because that's what we do. You look at what you have, you compare it to the world and say, look at me, got this, is a gift. You didn't get it on your own. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God, comes from above. There is nothing inside of us because our righteous acts to a holy God are filthy rags. There's nothing inside of us because we are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from the grace of God. There is nothing inside of us truly that should puff us up. So so gospel humility comes through the realization that all that we have is by God's grace alone, for God's glory alone. But there's more than that. Everything good comes from Him, and we uh, we have nothing bad inside of us that isn't covered with the blood of Christ. Did you hear that? If you are a child of the King, there is nothing bad, broken, sinful, misaligned, That if you are His by God's grace, it hasn't been covered by the blood of the King. And that blood is making it beautiful. That blood is cleansing it. And He's robed us in His righteousness. Do we see this gospel humility? Nothing good we can take credit for. And everything bad has been covered by God's grace. And we're made beautiful through Jesus alone. Really, uh, C.S. Lewis does an amazing job with gospel humility and self-forgetfulness in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, the the, uh, uh, chapter on pride. Uh, Tim Keller says this about gospel humility. It should cause our egos to be like our toes. Pretty good one, isn't it? You shouldn't focus on them. They just work. You shouldn't focus on your ego. It's not about you. They just kind of work. I had somebody tell me after the early service, my wife thinks a lot about her toes. You may want to change that. But I think you know what I mean. Here's the point. Quit staring at yourself. Quit staring at yourself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith. Sit, fix your eyes on God's only begotten Son. Fix your eyes on the spotless Lamb of God. Fix your eyes on the One who lives to intercede for you. Fix your eyes on the Alpha and the Omega. And fix your eyes on the One right now that all of the heavenly hosts are worshiping and adoring and they can't get their eyes off of Him. Self forgetfulness begins with us fixing our eyes properly on Christ Jesus. And listen, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, others around us come into view. As we fix our eyes on Him, it's amazing what happens as we start seeing those He's placed around us. And we realize that He's called us to seek their interest over our own. Seek the interest of others more than yourself. You want joy? Live for others, not for yourself. Many Orangewood members yesterday found the joy of, of serving others uh, as they had a garage sale for Asher Thomas's battle for leukemia and gathered stuff and went up there and it just saw the amazement of God work and raised $3,000 in a garage sale. And one guy who picked up a couple things and said, can I give you a check? Mm, no, no, you want my check. I'm going to give you $500. Just... Thanks for, thanks for serving others. I know there were a dozen or so folks down at Restore Orlando uh, uh, finding the joy of serving others. There were some uh, out in Winter Garden with the lost shepherd ministry. You're lost sheep, like, not shepherd. Don't lose the shepherd. Um, <laughs> I love our community group. Are you in one? I could be real. They know what a mess I am, and I know what a mess they are. We still love each other. It's amazing. And we are a mess. In our community group, there was a guy who said said this last week, he said, you know, I just got a new perspective, and it really has just resonated with me. He says, I'm waking up every day, and I'm saying, God, give me one person whose cup I could fill. Give me one person who I'll meet today that I have the privilege of filling their cup and saying, you know what, I'm just not waking up saying, God, fill my cup. God, just make this about me. But make it about me being a blessing to somebody else. And and that's it. I mean, that's waking up every day saying, I got something bigger to live for than myself. God's called me to something more than my own pathetic life. God's called me to him. I mean, I'm connected to the king. And when he's called me to him, he wants me to tell others that he loves them. And he wants to use me to love others. He wants to use me to serve others. You want to find joy, that's it not living for your own pathetic cup to be filled. You see, in God's economy, if we wake up with a goal to fill your cup, if we wake up with a goal of looking out for number one, I will promise you this, you will always be empty. There's more. But if for God's glory you seek the interest of others and try to live a life for His glory and find their interest above your own, you will find joy. And one of the things we do after communion, you see these baskets up here, it's for the deacons fund. Uh, It's it's a fund that the deacons uh, distribute to those in need. And let me tell you, uh, part of the joy is is blessing and serving others. And that's another tangible way you can do that. Uh, It's every month when we take communion. Um, Okay, not only serving others, but serving for the glory of God. We see Jesus as the example in verses six through seven. Uh, Jesus shows us that he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, that he came to serve and to give. Do you know that about Jesus? He came here to do two things. It's amazing, serve and give. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 20, there's a story of Jesus uh, hanging out and talking to his disciples, and it's an incredible story. It's at the end of his life, and he's about ready to have that triumphal entry that's going to lead to his death on a cross, and you know that's a pretty horrific death. And Scripture tells us about a conversation that was taking place with Jesus' disciples, that they were in a very amazing argument. They were arguing about who was greatest. (laughs) And you want to say, fellas, have you hung out with Jesus at all? What have you been doing the last several years? Are you kidding me? You're at this point in your ministry, and you're going to argue about who's the greatest? And Jesus says it's not all it's not about that at all this kingdom of God this gospel is completely different. He says in Matthew 20:28 20, even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see Jesus came and he showed us the pattern for true living. The pattern for true living is emptying ourselves serving others giving and as he gave his life for our death. And I love this about Jesus. You ready? Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't do. Serve, seek the interests of others. But be careful. Be careful that you could even serve for your own glory. Guilty. Don't serve so that others see you serve. Serve in a ways that others see Jesus in your serving. Don't serve so others see you serve. And you go, hey, that a boy, that's amazing. You do a great job. Serve in a way that's so much not about you and so much about Jesus and others that they just see Jesus and say, man, I just see Jesus in your life. Serving for the glory of God. And we got we to have this as well. Jesus came as an example, but I got to tell you, he came as so much more. Jesus is not just the moral high mark. It says in verse eight that he died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus came as our Savior. He died that criminal death so that we no longer have to live in the hell of living just for ourselves. I mean, listen, Jesus hung on that cross because of our selfish ambition, because of our vain conceit. He died, and he died in a way, and he was resurrected, that we now can have the penalty of our selfish ambition paid. and We now have the power to live in another way. Let me try one more time to say that to you. Jesus died so you could live. Jesus died so you could find joy. And Jesus died so you don't have to try to look for joy in yourself. It's not there. It's in him and serving him and others. I don't know about you. I hear these things. I'm thinking, God, but I'm so pathetic. <laughs> I'm going to wake up tomorrow and struggle with selfish ambition and conceit. It just seems like it's always right there. God, I'm so pathetic. Help. I I know this, I know this stuff and I'm not doing it all the time, help. And you get to verses 12 and 13 and it should sing to your soul. Because this doesn't come naturally to us. It says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Die daily to yourself and live for God. But I love what it says in 13, listen. God is in work in us. God gives us the desire and the power to do this. My hope is not in me. My hope is I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and get this right finally. My hope is in Jesus. And he who began the good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it. And he's not going to let me go. And he knows how much you and I pursue selfish ambition and vain conceit. But if we're his, he's working. And he's holding on to us. And he's loving us. He's reminding us that he'll never let us go. For some of you quit trying to puff yourself up. You're complete in Christ if you're his. For some of you quit putting yourself down. You're loved in Christ Jesus. But for all of us, quit trying to pursue selfish interest. You want joy? It's Jesus. Pursue his. I should pursue the interests of others and you'll find contentment and joy. Go figure. Jesus wants us to have this sermon tangibly. He wants us to taste this sermon. He really does. Because he wants us to taste the gospel. He wants us to remember of a Savior who emptied himself of everything but love and was broken so your brokenness and my brokenness could be mended. He wants us to be reminded he shed blood so that we could have our filthy ambition covered and robed in his righteousness. That's what this meal is all about. He wants to do a couple things with us. He wants to remind us Uh, of his work remind us to work out our salvation this is a call to work out your salvation to strengthen us that he is working in us and to excite us that he's coming back we're going to have a meal with him one day and he's not just going to be there spiritually if you're his one day you'll look down the table and say there's my savior if you're his you're going to be like him oh how I long for that day I want to live for him now and find his joy now. Let's journey together. Let's pray. Father, forgive the one who stands before these great people of yours who so often pursues his selfish ambition and vain conceit. And God, I thank you that you would love us enough that you made us in your image so that we could live for something more than ourselves. You loved us enough to send your son Jesus to, to die because of our selfish ambition and vain conceit. And now we could live for you and your glory. And find the joy on the journey through serving others in your name. God, give us gospel humility. Give us gospel self-forgetfulness remove our self-loathing, remove our self-loving, and replace all of it with Jesus so that we could just live in a way that finds your joy for your glory for those around us. Feed us with this meal, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the elders come forward and prepare the table, would you please prepare your heart for this meal?